Good morning. Good to see you this morning. Good to hear you this morning. Glad that you're with us. Uh, if you're a guest of ours, we're honored to have you with us this morning. I get emails. People send me things, you know, emails from time to time. Not too long ago, somebody sent me an email that I thought was a little bit humorous and also a little bit true. And the, the tagline, the title line in the email was, Things You Would Never Hear a True Southerner Say. Now, before I go any further, I know that I'm not really a true Southerner. 36 years ago, I made the decision to move south, but I still, I know I'm a little bit of an outsider, even though I did marry a girl from the heart of Dixie, even though all three of my kids have been born and raised south of the Mason-Dixon line, I live in Plant City, I've been to Graceland, right Josh? Yeah. So, you know, before you get angry with me, I understand all these things. But here's, here's the top five things you will never hear a true Southerner say. Number five, duct tape won't fix that. <laughs> People in the South don't say that. Number four, tires on that truck are too big. You don't hear that in Plant City. Number three, I'll just have grapefruit instead of biscuits and gravy. <laughs> That is, grapefruit is not on the buffet at Fred's. The number two thing you'll never hear a true Southerner say, who is this Nick Saban fellow? And the number one thing you will never hear a true Southerner say, checkmate. (laughs) Okay, like I said, do not send me angry emails, okay? But sometimes, somebody will say something and it gets your attention. Not so much what they say, but it's just the fact that they said it. Sometimes it's the person that says it that sort of makes you stop and go, hmm, interesting. I'll give you an example. Every now and then, my wife will say, let's go eat at Five Guys. Let's go get a burger at Five Guys. That always gets my attention. (laughs) Because I love Five Guys hamburgers. And what really gets my attention is when Martha says it, because I know Martha does not really care for Five Guys burgers. In fact, she doesn't call it Five Guys, she calls it Fat Boys. (laughs) For obvious reasons, right? But when she says, let's go eat at Five Guys, that gets my attention because I know what she's really saying is, I love you. (laughs) And I want you to be happy, so I'm going to sacrifice, and we'll go eat at Five Guys because I know how much it means to you. It would sort of be like me telling her, let's go to the mall. <laughs> you know, we'll stop at uh, Yankee Candle and smell some candles. And then, and then we'll go to Barnes and Noble and just browse. And then we'll go to Dillard's and we'll try on some clothes. Let's just go do that. I have never in my life said that to my wife. Never. But if I did, I promise you it would get her attention. Not that people don't say those kinds of things, just I don't say those kinds of things. We're going through the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 17, go ahead and be turning your Bibles there, Paul makes a statement that got my attention. And it's not so much what was said, 
but more the fact that it was the Apostle Paul that made the statement. Because on the surface, what he says seems so out of place for someone like him to to make. And yet, when you take a look at Paul's motive for saying what he said, you get some insight into his passion for the gospel, and you also get some insight into how well he understood people, and how well he related to different types of people. Now, by the time we get to Acts chapter 17, Paul is sort of trying to stay ahead of the the troublemakers. Uh, He's still on his second missionary journey. He's traveling with Silas. They have spent some time in Thessalonica, a couple weeks actually in Thessalonica. While there, Paul has a message for the people. Anybody want to guess what his message is? Jesus. Jesus Christ crucified. Um, Not everyone in Thessalonica is accepted in that message. And so Paul and uh, Silas have to leave town. They end up in Berea. Anybody want to guess what Paul's message is to the Bereans? Jesus Christ crucified. Jews, Greeks, men, women believed Paul's message. But not everyone believed. And again, Paul has to get out of town fast. So we're going to pick it up in verse 13 of Acts 17. But when some Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God in Berea, they went there and stirred up trouble. The believers acted at once, sending Paul on to the coast while Silas and Timothy remained behind. Those escorting Paul went with him to Athens. Then they returned to Berea with a message for Silas and Timothy to hurry and join them. So Paul finds himself in the city of Athens waiting for Timothy and Silas to catch up with him. Now, a little bit of background on the city of Athens. Athens was sort of the center of learning in that day. It's really where democracy kind of took foothold. Uh, Some of the world's greatest thinkers called Athens home. Plato, Socrates, Euripides, Sophocles. This city was known for, it prided itself in in being a forward-thinking place. If you were a dreamer, if you were a thinker, If you were an outside-the-box kind of person, Athens was the place for you. Sort of like San Francisco of the 60s. Everything goes, anything goes uh, in Athens. So what's Paul going to do while he's waiting for his friends to catch up with him in Athens? Maybe you saw this story uh, earlier this summer. It's from Edison, New Jersey. It's a fellow by the name of Benny Facito. Uh, He's now 98 years old. He works at a stop-and-shop there in New Jersey. He started bagging groceries there when he was 87. Just a week or two ago, his co-workers gave him a surprise birthday party on his 98th birthday, still bagging groceries. They surprised him with balloons and cake. The the, the local news uh, station showed up. He was very appreciative of the surprise party, but he didn't eat any cake. He told his boss, who's about 60-some years younger than him, I'm not on break yet. i got to go back to work. And so he went back bagging groceries. 
And someone from the news had interviewed him and said, why are you still working at 98 years old, World War II veteran? He served as a, a gunner and a, and a bomber. He said, why are you still working at 98 years of age? And his reply was, well, I can't just sit around and do nothing. Acts chapter 17, Paul finds himself in Athens sort of waiting for reinforcements to catch up with him. What is Paul going to do? I'll tell you what he's not going to do. He's not just going to sit around and do nothing. Verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. He went to the synagogue to debate with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. It's said that it was easier to find an idol in the city of Athens than it was an adult male. The city of Athens was literally filled with idols to false gods. When Paul walked down the streets of Athens, he saw exactly where these people's hearts were, where their minds were. He was deeply troubled. Another version says he was greatly distressed. This morning I want to ask you three questions. And I want to use the backdrop of Acts chapter 17 as we consider these questions. uh, Sort of Paul's experience in Athens. And here's my first question. When you open your eyes, what do you see? Sounds like an easy question, right? When you open your eyes, what do you see? Well, I see what's right in front of me. Doesn't everybody? There's a sappy old country song that says, I have a roof over my head and my kids have all been fed. And the woman I love most is right beside me in our bed. Lord, give me the eyes to see exactly what that's worth, and I will be the richest man on earth. And I think what the songwriter is saying is, so often we don't see what's right in front of us. We don't appreciate the significance of what's right in front of us. When Paul opened his eyes, what did he see? He's in Athens. He sees all of these statues, all of these idols. What did he see? I know many of you, like like myself, have been to Monument Hall in Washington, D.C. It's a big room where there's 50 statues from 50 different states. Uh, They're not idols, but still, there's just a whole bunch of statues. And it's, it's very impressive. It's very moving to stand in that room and just look at all of this uh, artwork and, and all of these sculptures. As Paul looked at all the statues and all the false gods in Athens, was he impressed? <laughs> Not at all. When Paul opened his eyes, he was deeply troubled. He was greatly distressed. He had confirmation of what he already knew. Paul would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the world through its wisdom knew not God. Paul realized where he was. I'm in Athens. There are smart people in this city. But they don't know God. When Paul opened his eyes, what he saw was people who desperately needed to hear about Jesus. He saw people who who thought they had a lot of the answers, but they didn't know God. And they didn't know Jesus. We don't live in Athens, but we're close. 
We live in Tampa, Florida, the United States of America. And we consider ourselves pretty forward-thinking. We are enlightened. We are educated. We see things, we know things, we understand things that other people in other parts of the world, uh, they don't see. They don't get. They They don't understand it quite as well as we do because we are, well, we're smart people. We're educated people. Open your eyes. What do you see? Do you see a rat race where everybody's trying to get ahead or at least trying to get theirs? Do you see a society where it's pretty much every man for himself? What do you see when you open your eyes? Do you see people who need Jesus? Because they're everywhere. When you open your eyes, do you see opportunities to, to talk about Jesus? Do you see opportunities to share the love of Jesus with someone? Maybe a chance to serve someone in the name of Jesus? I'm not saying we have all the right answers, but maybe we can help people ask the right questions. Which brings me to my next question for you. When you open your mouth, what do you say? Paul finds himself in a strange place, kind of waiting for, for his friends to catch up with him. He opens his eyes and sees people who desperately need Jesus. What's he going to do? What's he going to say? Verse 17, he went to the synagogue to debate with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles. And he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. When Paul opened his mouth, what did he say? He talked about spiritual things. And, and I like the, the, kind of an interesting phrase there at the end of that passage. He talked to all who happened to be there. Anyone. Everyone. Didn't matter. Didn't matter who was there. Paul talked to him, And he talked to him about spiritual things. You know, it's, it's easy to talk about some things, right? We don't have any problem talking about some things. We don't have any problem talking about sports. No, it's football season, right? The Bucks are undefeated. For a couple more hours, they're undefeated. You know, we don't mind talking about sports. That's easy. We don't mind talking about the weather. We don't mind talking about, you know, a lot of things. But when it comes to spiritual things, ooh, we're a little uh, careful about who we broach that subject with. We're a little bit concerned and a little bit standoffish about how we're going to talk about spiritual things. You know, politics and uh, religion, don't, don't talk about that. Can I tell you something? Can I just be real honest? I don't like to talk about religion. I really do not like to talk about religion. Now, Jesus, I like to talk about Jesus. Jesus is easy to talk about. No, it really is easy to tell people how Jesus has blessed me. How Jesus has helped me through a struggle. How Jesus has helped me with my wife and my family and, you know, relationships. So often we get hung up on religiosity. And I'm not even sure that's a word. But we get hung up on these things that, that you know, we want to argue about and talk about. And somehow Jesus, <laughs> Jesus, the Son of God, 
our Lord, our Savior, our King, somehow Jesus never makes it into the conversation. We never actually talk about Jesus, and he's the exciting part of the conversation. He's the answer to all those questions that we're always wrestling with and, you know, people are struggling with. Paul could talk about Jesus with all who happened to be there. Verse 18. He also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. When he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, again, all who happened to be there, what's he talking about? Jesus Christ crucified, brought back to life. When he told them about Jesus and and the resurrection, they said, this babbler has picked up some strange ideas. Others said, he is pushing some foreign religion. Then they took him to the council of philosophers. Come and tell us more about this new religion, they said. You're saying some rather startling things, and we want to know what it's all about. And then Luke adds parenthetically, should be explained that all the Athenians, as well as all the foreigners in Athens, seem to spend all their time discussing the latest ideas. Remember, I started this thing by saying that Paul made a statement that got my attention, and it wasn't so much what was said, but rather because of who said it. Paul is going to make a statement that that surprises me that he makes it. And again, don't lose the setting. He's talking to smart people. He's talking about Jesus. He's talking about the resurrection. He's talking to people whose response to him was, this babbler has some strange ideas. This must be some new religion. This guy is out there. And this guy is kind of different. This guy's a little bit weird. And here's the interesting statement that Paul makes to this group of people. Men of Athens, I notice that you're very religious. Wait, what? Men of Athens, I notice you're very religious. Hey, guys, we have something in common. You and I. You're very religious. I'm very religious. Has Paul lost his mind? (laughs) He's in the middle of a place where there are so many idols to false gods. He's talking to people who just say, this guy's a babbler. He's he's got some strange, weird ideas. You know, we don't know what what the deal is, but, you know, he seems kind of interesting. And his statement is, I can tell you're very religious. Paul, you're nuts. No, wait, Paul, you're a genius. Because remember, when he opened his eyes, he saw people who need Jesus. He saw people who desperately need to hear the good news. But Paul understood it's not good news if they won't listen to what I have to say. And Paul understood it's not good news if it doesn't make a difference in their life. So somehow I've got to share this good news in a way that's going to make these people want to listen. Paul understands his audience. He understands I'm going to have to give him a reason to listen. So instead of immediately just alienating them by saying, commandment number one, no other gods before me. You're all going to hell. Instead of starting there, which that is commandment number one, on on the ten, instead of starting there, instead of slamming a door that he never could have opened again, Paul says, we have something in common. We do. We're both concerned about, uh, you know, spiritual things. And then verse 23. For as I was walking along, I saw your many altars. 
And one of them had this inscription on it. To an unknown God. You have been worshiping him without knowing who he is. And now I wish to tell you about him. These, these people in Athens were so concerned about maybe uh, inadvertently missing a god, they throw up an extra uh, idol, an altar, to the unknown god, just in case. And Paul says, interesting that you have an altar to an unknown god. Because that's the god I know. I know the unknown god. I know the god that you don't know. Let me tell you about the God that you don't know. And in that very purposeful, very brilliant segue, Paul does a wonderful thing. And he gives us a wonderful lesson. Give people a reason to listen. Before you, before you just tell people something, and before you just, you know, just say, hey, here's how it is. Give people a reason to listen. It's not good news if people won't listen to us. It's not good news if we turn people off before we can draw them in. And we've all heard the statement, culture doesn't change the church. The church changes culture. It's true, by the way. Salt and light, they change things. They make things better. But we need to pay attention to how our culture reaches decisions. We need to be aware of the methodology that we use. Because the methodology that worked in my grandparents' generation will not work in my grandchildren's generation. It's just the reality. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me. The good news hasn't changed. The gospel hasn't changed. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever, that hasn't changed. But it's got to be presented in a way that people are going to listen. It's got to be presented in a way and shared in a way that people are going to say, I need this. This is exactly what I'm looking for. This is answering the questions that I have. When you open your mouth, what do you say? Listen, we can speak absolute truth and push people away from Jesus. We can quote scripture and slam doors that will never be opened again. Paul understood that. And Paul was very deliberate and very intentional in how he approaches people with the good news of Jesus. Which brings me to the final question for us this morning. When you open your heart, what do you find? Listen how Paul finishes these remarks to the people of Athens. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples built by hands, and he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything, because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. There was a guy who used to worship here uh, 30 years ago maybe. But Kenny Birdwell was his name. And I remember Kenny telling me about uh, his little boy saying his prayers at night. And his little boy, and I'm not sure if it was a stall tactic or if it was just his personality, but he would pray this way. God bless mom, dad, and then he would begin to name every person he knew. Every relative. 
uncles, aunts, grandparents, everyone at church, every name he could remember, everyone at preschool, every name he could remember, every teacher. Then he'd start on television shows and start naming those people. And finally one night, Kenny kind of interrupted him and said, and just say, and everyone else. Just say, everybody else. And his little boy said, and nobody else. (laughs) Amen. And he said, no, no, not nobody else. It's everybody else. But that then became his prayer. Bless mom and dad and nobody else. (laughs) And it was sort of a family joke, you know. Hey, just mom and dad are getting blessed. uh, Nobody else. Look again how Paul ends his statement here in, in verse 25. He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. And it's almost as if Paul is so tempted to go into one of those long lists that he is so famous for, but he's like fighting the urge. I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to say he gives life and breath and everything else. What's Paul mean when he says everything else? I think he means everything else. I think he means everything that pertains to life and godliness. Everything that we need, we find in Christ. All the joy that we're looking for, all the peace that we're looking for, all the comfort that we need is found in Christ. When you put your head on your pillow at night, the things that we want the most, that's what God gives. Life and breath and everything else. He he told, uh, wrote in Ephesians, you are near God. You have access to God at any time. He put it this way in the letter to the Colossians. You're a member of his kingdom. You're delivered from the power of evil. You're a partner with Christ. He'd say it this way in his letter to the Romans. You're beyond condemnation. You're justified. You've been delivered from the law. But in Acts chapter 17, when Paul says, when you open your heart to God, you get life, Breath and everything else. It's a good promise, isn't it? Life, breath, and everything else. This morning, when you open your eyes, what do you see? I hope you see people who need Jesus. I hope you see people who who need to be loved with the love of Jesus, need to be served. In the name of Jesus. I hope you see people who are lost and broken, just like we are without Jesus. When you open your mouth, what do you say? I hope you're not trying to prove how much Bible you know and beating somebody over the head with Scripture. I hope you're bragging on Jesus. I hope you're talking about Jesus, not necessarily religion, Not even church. I hope you're telling people about Jesus in a way that people will listen. In a way that's real in their lives. Because everybody's struggling. We all have problems and struggles and we all have things that are just really hard. People need to know about Jesus. Then when you open your heart, what do you find? If you truly open your heart to God, you find life and breath and everything else. 
that's part of the good news of living a life in Christ. And that's what we need to be sharing with people. This week we've got another opportunity to be a witness. We've got another opportunity to brag on Jesus. To tell people how Jesus changed our lives. Because people want to know that. This morning as a church family, maybe there's something else going on in your life that you just really need the prayers of those who love you. Uh, we'd love to pray with you. We'd love to help you in any way that we can. If you've got a need that you think the church here can meet, there'll be some people at the front of the auditorium, and you can meet us there. Let's stand and sing.